I really wish that this idea of an unmedicated birth would even just be explored because it is empowering and there is strength in us as women to do this. And if it empowers someone to have the epidural or to do other types of interventions or they need it medically, they should do that and they should feel proud of it and they should own it. But if there are inklings or feelings of maybe this might be for me, maybe I want to try to persevere in this direction, then that is certainly something that they should explore and there is support out there to explore it and it is a totally incredible journey. Giving birth is one of the most significant events of your life. Sadly, the joy that you should feel can often be replaced with anxiety and helplessness instead. As a labor and delivery nurse, I'm revealing insider information to educate you, reassure you, and decrease your fear. In this podcast, you'll hear empowering birth stories and experts weigh in on a range of topics. Being Jewish also has me exploring Judaism's influence on the reproductive experience. However, I speak to anyone wishing to navigate their journey with more joy and confidence. I'm your host, Hani Fingerer, and you're listening to the Happy Birthway Podcast. It takes time and practice to master the skill of the newborn swaddle. So here's my hack. Go to elliesandco.com. Among their full line of gorgeous, high-quality baby bedding and lay assets, you will find adjustable swaddle blankets that take at all the guesswork. With a pocket for baby's legs and adjustable wings with secure closures, your baby swaddle will be perfect every time. Go to elliesandco.com. That's E-L-Y-S-A-N-D-C-O.com and enter BW10 for 10% off your purchase. Link in the episode show notes. The Jewish weekly day of rest, Shabbos, is so precious and sacred. However, many women find it challenging to refrain from applying makeup on this festive day, and some are even hesitant to leave the house. Enter Seventh Day Shine, a revolutionary skincare and makeup line that can be applied on Shabbos while keeping halacha. Their foundation, blush, bronzer, eyeshadow, and eyeliner and lip powders come in a huge array of colors, and their application brushes are so luxurious. My favorite product is Luminosity, an intensely hydrating and refreshingly scented serum that's especially formulated for permissible application on Chavez. Check out their full line on SeventhDayShine.com. That's the number 7, THD. D-A-Y-S-H-I-N-E dot com and enter Birthway 10 for 10% off your purchase. Find the link in the episode show notes. Welcome to another episode of the Happy Birthway podcast. Today, I will be interviewing Bossy on her first baby's birth story. Bossy is a soon-to-be marriage and family therapist as well as the owner of Cosmopolitan Wigs, an exclusively online Shaitel wig shop. Bossy's mission with Cosmo is to reinvent the wig buying experience by offering unparalleled quality and unparalleled prices while keeping the customer's needs as the top priority. Welcome to the show, Bossy. I'm so happy to be here. So happy to have you. We met on Instagram. I love what you do. I love your whole business model and business philosophy. I really admire it. It's great. Yeah, and we love educating people on having better big buying experiences. So it's really so fun. And um, it's really so cool that we got to meet on Instagram. Yeah, it's amazing. And I have very much the same philosophy in the work that I do with the education. And that's why I really think we connected a lot. Yeah, I was about six months pregnant when I started following you. And I was in the research mode. And I was so excited. There was a from 
educator coming out about labor and delivery and pregnancy and I was like this is where I need to be and I literally followed you every time you said something every one of those Carvel lives every random live you did I was there because I really just wanted to soak it all in yay that's so nice for me to hear I'm so happy and like we said earlier you're an educated consumer buyer you facilitate buyers and consumers to be educated and I'm I'm just so happy that you found me and you were able to take that into that part of your life. Let's hear, what was your pregnancy like? What was your care like? That's kind of the focus that I took with my pregnancy and my delivery journey. My pregnancy was difficult and complicated. I was at three different OBGYNs and for different reasons. One I didn't like, one was a fertility clinic, and the one I ended up with I really didn't even have such a great experience by. Um, in addition, I was going through some like weird symptoms that were unexplainable. So it was like a very stressful pregnancy and COVID. I kind of used my research and my um, investigations into labor and delivery options as a distraction from all the frustration and all the feeling sick. Um, and it, it was actually a really good outlet for me. And I think I read so much and learn so much in such a short amount of time. I think it also provides a certain sense of control. Like when you're going through so much in your pregnancy that you can't control, researching and educating and looking to your options, I feel like brings back a certain semblance of control that you can have over the process. Yeah, and that's really where I was headed with it. In my life, I've had to um, harness a certain level of independence and self-reliance to deal with difficult things. And that's, I think, what drove me to take the road less traveled um, with my pregnancy and my delivery because I really felt like I've always used my own determination and my own power to get where I need to go. And why should this be any different? I'm happy that you found resources to research your options and um, where did that lead you to so my my first exposure or my first passion moment of passion where I decided I really want to do this was after reading Ina May's book and for those who are not familiar Ina May Gaskin is a midwife she's kind of like a legend um, I she was practicing in since the 1970s she had what was called the farm in Tennessee and she had incredible results um, that even OBGYNs were really amazed at she's got a long history and she's got some great books out there her book really just spelled out a lot of different factors that go into childbirth that are often taken for granted and by breaking down all of those different experiences, events, factors, um, and nuances, I really felt like I gained so much in terms of a perspective on how much is in our power and how much we can do as women, as childbearers, how far we can actually take our control and our strength. And I happen to have a very big fear of needles. And I felt that especially after reading her book, where she talks a lot about how fear is one of the things that brings about a lot of the frustration and pain and stress in labor. I felt that 
putting myself in a situation where I was going to be receiving the biggest needle of my life that comes with a lot of risks and a lot of downsides would have definitely psyched me out during labor, which in her book she discusses a lot about being psyched up or psyched out. And after realizing how psyched out I would be from just the epidural and the catheter, just saying, I I really felt like I needed to think of some alternatives. And I was really empowered by her research and her statistics on how far a medicated birth can go and, and how positive of an experience it could be. And I was I said, I can do it. I, I really started believing I could do it. It's important to highlight that every person has a very unique individual experience as to how they view interventions. And like you said, for you personally, it would cause a lot of fear. And you knew that for yourself. You knew yourself well enough to know that. And fear is, like you said, such a huge deterrent of labor progress. You really educated yourself. It helped take away your fear. It showed you your options. It showed you that a lot more was within your control than one might think. Did you find a provider that you liked in the end? No. I ended up staying with a provider who primarily does medicated births and was not supportive of my plan. Um, Every time I'd go in and discuss my birth plan, they'd either poo-poo me and be like, yeah, we'll figure that out. Or they would say, we just recommend you get the epidural. And I almost switched providers at 36 weeks because, again, because of this like psychological impact on the labor progress, I felt that if my doctor at the time wasn't behind me and was discouraging me from pulling through this, I would really be totally psyched out and, again, maybe lose all the work that I had done, my whole pregnancy and my research and my training. And I, I did a hypnobabies course, which we could talk about later, and all this money and time and energy that I've invested in this goal of mine to have an unmedicated birth would just go out the window if I'm in the middle of labor and the doctor who's treating me is saying, you can't do this, give up. So I almost switched providers at the end. Um, and. I just decided that at that point they knew me and I knew them and I didn't want to start over and I was willing to psych myself up to ignore them if I felt they weren't serving my needs. That's really good and I think very important for our listeners to hear. If you have doubts about your provider, you're free to choose and find another provider that hopefully will be better. But there are always limitations and obstacles that come with finding a provider you really love, be it location, be it availability, be it health insurance. It's great. I love how you understood that for yourself, that you had those limitations, whatever they were. And instead, you prepared yourself alternatively to know what the pitfalls would be with how you and your provider, how you guys saw things and how you would troubleshoot that right? How you would communicate your needs. Some providers are, if you tell them you want to go unmedicated, they'll be like, yeah, fine, sure. But other providers, if you want to tell them that you want to go low intervention, unmedicated, maybe more supportive. So some are kind of like lukewarm, whatever you want. But then when push comes to shove, they just say, well, you're in so much pain. Why don't you just get the epidural? And epidurals are a great tool. That's not to say that they're not. But if somebody very much desires not to get an epidural, then it's great to have a really supportive provider of that if possible. And if not, it's great to prepare yourself like you did. Something I want to mention is the 
resistance on my provider's part was largely because they felt like I didn't know what I was getting myself into. They felt like you're a new mom, this is your first pregnancy, you don't realize how hard this is going to be. And I said, you don't realize how many hard things I've overcome. Like, I, I really wasn't concerned by that. I was more concerned by their lack of ability to support me unconditionally and to follow my lead when it comes to my choices rather than to have their own agenda or viewpoint that they can't let go for the sake of their their patients. So that was something that I really did not appreciate. It's interesting because from I'm hearing that you felt like they didn't believe that you could do it. They like didn't believe that you were going to be able to do that, which I think is so important. You need your team to believe in you. I'll tell you from a healthcare, from a clinician's perspective, what I see a lot of times happening is that women come in in labor for the first time and they say that they don't want the epidural, but they did nothing to prepare themselves for it. So they have no idea truly what they are getting themselves into because yeah, like you said, it doesn't sound like a you know, preferred thing to get a big needle in your back. But when push comes to shove and they actually have to start coping with the intensity of labor, they have no tools in their arsenal. They have no education. They have no understanding. That fear comes in. And also that, you know, lack of, of belief and of support from their healthcare team because they just say, you know, just get that epidural. And honestly, I will tell you that that happens the majority of the time when a patient comes in and did no preparation, says that they don't want an epidural. If you want to have a low intervention birth, you need to seriously prepare yourself for it and you need to be determined to have it. You can't just be like, I'll see what happens, I'd rather not, but we'll see. Because when patients say that we'll see, almost all the time, they get the epidural. It's not we'll see, it's I do not want the epidural and I did preparation for it. And let's say maybe you'll get the epidural and you'll be happy with your choice in the end. But if you really truly believe that you don't do that prep. Yeah, and that was the deal I made with myself. If I'm going to do this, I need to have a concrete plan. And that concrete plan included three things, I would say. The research and the um, the work that I did to prepare. I got a doula and I did hypno babies. And I really felt like I was getting a lot of tools in my toolbox. In addition, everything I did to prepare myself for the hospital was focused around this idea that I was going to do my best to pull through to have an unmedicated birth. So that includes bringing a birthing ball. I tried to get a room with a shower. I wasn't successful. Um, I brought these like energy pouches. You know about these? They're like applesauce, but they have like energy in them. When you're nauseous and you can only like drink or whatever, they they have tons of energy in them. What are the energy pouches called? They're called Slammers Protein Watermelon Kiwi Burst. They're OUD, non-GMO, and they come in these packs, like the type of pouch you would give a baby with applesauce in it. And it's like watermelon flavored with seven grams of protein per pouch and other energy, um, kind of like Red Bull style, but with no like iffy ingredients. Okay, so you you brought those little pouches, among other things that you do to prepare. Yeah, so I was really focused on the preparation, having every tool in my toolbox that I could. Um, and that included hypnobabies, so I'll get into that a little bit. Hypnobabies is a little bit different than hypnobirthing in the sense that 
you are actually entering into a deep hypnosis during your childbirth. It's a six-week course that I took um, with my husband on Zoom with a hypno babies trained instructor doula, and I also hired a hypno babies doula to um, come with me to the birth. So it's two separate people who I had just in my back pocket to ask questions to and to consult with when things were coming up during labor. That's great because the philosophy was consistent. So the things that you learned, your doula was consistent with those things. They weren't new things to her and she knew what tools you'd be using to cope and she would better be able to support that. So that's great. Yeah. And the course was so interesting. I have never done hypnosis or meditation in my life. But for six weeks straight and until the rest of my pregnancy, every day I practice hypnosis. It's an eyes open hypnosis, so it's not dangerous. It's actually called hypnoanesthesia, which is a medical grade anesthesia that is used for people who are allergic to other types of anesthesia. And um, it's just a great way to calm your body, relax your mind, relax your muscles without any medical intervention. Wow. And I want to highlight the fact that you practiced every single day. This is not the kind of thing that you can go to six classes for and then feel like, yep, you got it all. You need to practice You need to practice often. You need to practice every day. Labor is like running a marathon, and you can't just go and do a 26-mile sprint without practicing for it. Yeah, and I I did the practice. My husband did his role. There's like partner support um, type meditations and hypnosis, and we really were ready. It just came to a point where I said, I have done all the research. I have read all the books I can read. I have read all the articles, watched all the podcasts, followed all the Instagram personalities who support this. And I've done my hypnobabies course and I've done all the hypnosis. I've asked all my questions and I just surrendered to everything I know and said, I'm going to do my best. Anything else of note during the pregnancy or do you want to go to the labor part? Let's just get right into it. So what happened? How many weeks were you? I was 39 weeks. I was one week and one day early. It was definitely weird for a first uh, pregnancy, but my water just broke and I did not really start contractions. So that's where things got a little bit complicated because they needed to induce me and they used Cytotec, which is a drink that ripens the cervix. That was kind of the start of what you, I know in labor and delivery, they call it the dom- domino effect. Yeah, the cascade of interventions. Yeah, everything kind of just rolls out from there and things did were impacted by the fact that I needed to be induced. I'm sorry that stinks that it wasn't on your plan. When your water breaks, sometimes you can wait at home a little bit. Sometimes you have to go in right away. There are different circumstances and um, you're at risk for infection though. So that's the reason why ideally we'd like to get labor going and get the baby out because the sac that surrounds baby and protects baby from infection is no longer intact. And that doesn't mean that you're on a time clock um, in terms of you have to have a C-section by a certain amount of time of your water being broken. If baby is doing well, you're doing well, and there are no signs of infection, then labor should be able to continue. It's, it's preferable for labor to start, you know, sooner rather than later from after your water broke. Like we don't want you going three days with your water broken and no labor. 
So once your water broke, how long was it until you started the induction process? It was about seven hours. So my plan was to labor at home with unmedicated. Laboring at home is a huge privilege because you can walk around. You're not strapped down to a bed. You have all the space you need. You have all your equipment. And there's just less time that you're in the hospital on their clock, on their watch. And I couldn't do that because I was strep positive and my water broke. So I went to the hospital. Yeah. And I have to point out that that is one of those are one of the reasons why you actually would have to start the induction process sooner. Um, group E strep is a bacteria that's harmless to the mother and that lives in the perianal area. Uh, however, during birth, it can be very harmful to baby and have very dangerous consequences. So somebody who has group E strep, mothers are typically tested at 36 weeks for it. And if you are positive, then you would get antibiotic treatment during labor. And um, so I'm assuming this is why you had to go in uh, sooner rather than later. Yeah. And I asked my doctor, I said, can you give me the antibiotics? I went to the office. So I said, can you give me antibiotics here and give me some like eight hours on, I'll go to the hospital in eight, eight hours. They were not interested. They sent me straight to the hospital. My doula did, we did have a, um, we did go off course a little bit and we ended up going to Macy's and walking around just to see if I could get labor started on my own. I did a million squats and nothing was happening. Also, one of the ways that I prepared that I didn't mention before is there's a lot of movements that um, are encouraged to get baby in the right position and open up your pelvis, mild circuit, spinning babies, those types of things. So we did all of that and nothing was happening. And that is when we knew we had to just go to the hospital and start the process because we did not want to risk any infection. Yeah. And it's great that you were educated and that you did those things because later on, you won't have doubts. Some people have doubts like, was this really necessary? Could I have done something differently? But you were educated, you had the tools, you tried to do what you were able to, and it wasn't meant to be. So you knew that it was the right thing to do to go to the hospital. So we get to the hospital, and basically because of COVID, part of the labor and delivery unit was being prepared for COVID. So they were short rooms, and my doula insisted that we get a room with a shower. So we were waiting and waiting and it wasn't happening. They'd given me, they said they were gonna give me four rounds of Cytotech, and that is how we were going to proceed and see what happened. So eight hours, basically, I was in triage, I didn't get a room, and I was getting the Cytotech, and I was having actually very strong contractions from the Cytotech, but I wasn't feeling a thing. So this was my opportunity to start practicing my hypnosis and getting into a safe and comfortable place to feel ready to have a fearless and comfortable birth. However, I was in triage and the people sitting next to me were getting epidurals. And as the catheter was going in and as the needle was going in, they were screaming bloody murder. I can't do this. I can't do this. And I said, no, I did not do all this preparation for an unmedicated birth to listen to someone else scream and cry about how much pain and how scared they are. And that's when I said, I don't care if it doesn't have a shower. We're not going to wait all night. I need to get into my place. We're going to a room. And we took the next room that was available. That's crazy that people were getting epidurals in triage. Yeah, yeah. And triages are set up differently. So was it the kind of triage where there were just curtains, not like little separate rooms? Mm Mm-hmm. 
Oh, fun time. So, so I'm like listening to everyone yell in pain and I'm sitting there having these very strong contractions, but not feeling it, which was probably a result of my hypnosis um, and my calm demeanor. And I was just like, I'm not letting someone else <laughs> ruin this for me. So we left really fast and took the next room that was available, which did not have a shower. It was, I guess you had to figure out which which was worse of the two. And it's definitely not very calming um, and definitely doesn't facilitate relaxation when you're hearing people screaming all around you. We know that tension is very catchy. And um, we got to the room and that's actually when my pain discomfort started kicking in. And um, we knew the Cytotech was working. Another point to note is... Isn't that mean as a labor and delivery nurse when um, I have a patient that's having an induction? I get so excited when they start having more pain. Like, isn't that disgusting? But we get so excited. Yeah, no, it was it was exciting that something was happening. However, there was a little bit of confusion about where I was in the labor process. And I only learned this in hindsight, that Cytotech heightens all of your symptoms and all of your pain because now your cervix is super ripe and super fragile. So everything that the cervix is holding up is now also ripe and fragile. So everything just feels 10 times more intense than it would had I not had the cytotech. So I didn't know that. So we thought that I was in transition because I had been in labor for already 12 hours, but I wasn't. Did you have any cervical checks during that time? So no, because of the risk of infection. Yes, and and that's actually, I wanna point that out, that is the standard of care. If someone's water is broken and their group is strep positive, unless there are any concerning signs for the baby's welfare or the mother's welfare, or we're thinking there's imminent delivery, then the mother should wait to be checked. And um, the in general, the fewer vaginal exams that someone has in labor, the less risk for infection, because every time someone has a vaginal exam, we're introducing the potential for infection. So that's great to hear that you, you know, didn't have unnecessary vaginal exams. Yes, and I appreciated that. Another factor that was happening at the same time was that the baby was posterior and I was having extreme back labor. Occipital posterior. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we we're like not really sure where I was in the labor process because of all these factors. Yeah, so occipital posterior is when the baby's facing sunny side up um, and the baby's back is against the mother's back, which uh, a more optimal position for the baby's exit is the other way around where the baby's face is facing the mother's back. And it can cause very intense labor pain and make you feel like you're in transition when in fact you're just two centimeters dilated just because that baby's head is pushing against, um, you know, different parts of your body. So um, it's, it's really, I'm glad that you had those tools to try to get the baby's head to rotate because babies come down like corkscrews. So it's definitely possible to get your baby's head to rotate, but that can be excruciating, excruciating pain. Yeah, and it really was. And we did three hours of thinking that I was in transition, and then we were so burnt out that we decided it was time for an exam. Because if I thought that I was having back-to-back contractions, and if I thought that this was it, then we had to find out what was going on. So a resident came in and did the check and said that I was four and a half centimeters and um, minus two effaced. Mm -hmm. Minus two station. And 
we freaked out. We were like, wait, what? We thought this was almost over. This has been a really long day. And I've been having the strongest contractions, very intense back labor. What is going on here? And we were like really, really bummed. Um, At that point, I realized that my only chance here of surviving through the end was to redo my hypnosis and get into a deeper state of hypnosis. So we shut the lights, we shut everything down, and I listened to my tracks and got myself into a calm place. Wow, that's that's really amazing. You kind of had to recenter yourself. Yes, and at the same time, God sent a miracle, and the nurses had to switch over, not because of the change of shift, just because some someone else who was on my nurse's team was actually pushing. So they sent in a new nurse and she was a former doula and was very motivated to get me the things I need. So whereas the original nurses were not willing to unhook me from the IV, even when it was just saline, were not willing to let me go sit on the toilet and were not willing to put me on a Bluetooth monitor, this nurse, she was amazing, was like, no, no, no. If you're going to do this, we're doing it right. And she made all the calls and said, get me that Bluetooth monitor. This girl is so close. We're going to help her get through this. And she really changed the whole course. That's so amazing. And I have to say, I see this from my personal practice all the time. Not only do you need all the tools that you had and all the education that you had, but when you're in an environment that's oriented toward the side of more intervention, then you're if you're not getting that proper support and you're not getting those resources like you said a bluetooth monitor that's remote um, where you can move around better uh, being hooked up to iv bag of fluids sometimes you need those interventions um, but if you truly don't if they're not really necessary then it's it's just not going to facilitate your your plan and you weren't getting those things until then and that could have made a huge difference in your labor i see that all the time sometimes i'll have two patients one patient says that they don't want to have um, an epidural they they want to go as low intervention as possible i do everything i can to help with that and then i have a second patient and something like that happens where you go to push and then i come out and the nurse that took over that patient tells me three hours later oh yeah she got an epidural she's all comfortable and good in bed wow that yeah i mean i was not on that track because i felt i had made it this far i was pushing through but i really needed it i was really losing my mojo and also, two points about the oxyposterior. Is that how you say it? Oxyposterior, or we just call it OP. <laughs> OP. Um, was that I didn't have a shower, and with back labor, a shower is so helpful to have the warm water hitting your, your back. So that would have definitely been a game changer for me. And also, the baby has to now turn. Mm-hmm. While your cervix and all your other organs that are being held up by your cervix are super ripe and fragile, the baby turning is extremely painful. Mm -hmm. So the back labor increased and I felt like I had to push. Which is very common to feel rectal pressure when you're not very much dilated with a baby that's OP. So that's really characteristic for an OP baby. Yeah, and I couldn't control it. And after three hours of just trying to hold it in, I didn't want to tear my my uterus or my cervix in half, but I really couldn't control it. And after a few hours of that, it just seemed like I was I was there. 
So they brought in the PA and we did another check and Baruch Hashem, nine centimeters. Nice. We were good to go. And like, we really had a Hallelujah moment. Like my husband was like, I was really so close to just like throwing in a towel. I'm like, you? <laughs> it's really so crazy. so hard for him, right? No, I, I don't want to diminish that there is definitely challenges of being a partner of someone who's laboring. But so f- just to clarify, for for you went from four and a half centimeters to nine centimeters in three hours. Yeah. Wow. And I mean, it can be attributed to so many things, but I also like to point out that once you get to like the five, six centimeter mark, which we're close to, um, you can go really fast. It's not a linear progression. So you had like 12 hours of labor and it took you 12 hours to get to four and a half centimeters of painful contractions. And I want the listeners here to know that those contractions are not not doing anything. Just because you had 12 hours of contractions that you only got to four and a half centimeters, they're still doing something and you may change a lot faster later on. Yeah, so correction, I was only having four hours of pain. The contractions were happening, but I wasn't feeling them. Only four hours in did I start feeling them. Um, so I had total painful hours were eight hours, mm-hmm. like completely. And... Um, yeah, so we basically realized that I was there and then the nurses started coming in and setting up the room and prepping me and um, getting all their stuff in place. And we decided that an hour later, well, it wasn't really decided. It happened that by the time everything was set up, we were ready to push. And um, from that point on, it was 50 minutes. I pushed on my back with in a sideline position because another priority that I had was to tear as little as possible. I really wanted to be on all fours, but because of how tiring my labor was, I did not have the energy and they knew that I would get burnt out really fast. So they recommended sideline. I agreed because that was my second choice. And we did it 50 minutes later. Was that the nurse that you had that was a former doula that recommended that? So they actually had to switch again because Mm -hmm. she had to go, but she did her her work. And um, a new nurse came in, Sue. Uh, Sue was, I guess they knew I was unmedicated at that point. And they had tried to now start to curate a team for me who was pro going unmedicated and would help me. Sue was that nurse. She was like so proud to be in the room of someone who was trying to be as low intervention as possible and really want was the cheerleader that I needed. That's that's amazing. And that is so important to know that you can ask if there's change of shift or they have to switch out a nurse for whatever reason. As a patient, you can always ask if that, you know, if there's a, a nurse that's going to be more open to this quote unquote alternative <laughs> method of birth. I'm just kidding, you know, but I'm not at the same time. Um, you know, if there's a nurse that's going to be more that that leans more toward um, supporting a birth like this, there there are very much different nursing personalities, and some are like I work with a nurse who one time asked me if we can switch patients because her patient was like super crunchy, um, birth center transfer and was chanting and, you know, was planning on giving birth, squatting or on her all fours and all of that. And I had a super high risk patient that was very complicated with a lot of stuff going on. 
but she's like, I'll take your patient over this other one. I just, I can. I was like, oh, love it. We're going to do it. But I also want to say that when you have someone that has a vision for their birth and is motivated to do it and is actually doing it, you end up getting even the more medically oriented nurses on board because they're just so proud of you that you're actually doing it. And unfortunately, we don't see many determined patients as determined as you were. So they, I think that at a certain point, it turns around where people are just cheering you on, like they're so proud of what you're doing. And a lot of times you think that you want to push in a certain way, but when push comes to shove, no pun intended, when <laughs> you are actually at that point of pushing, different things can feel co- comfortable for different people. So some people may have this vision that they want to squat. Some people may have this vision that they want to push on all fours or on their side. And turns out that they like to push a different way. Some people may have this vision of, I don't want anybody counting when I'm pushing or I'm going to push with you know breathing in and out or the opposite way where... I just want someone counting, whatever it is. And it's not uncommon for people to just change their mind. Not even, I don't want to say change their mind, but choose whatever feels best for them. Sideline is great. I have to tell you, it's great for baby's head rotation. And it's also been shown of all positions to be the less likely for you to tear actually in your perineum. Yeah, well, that was really not effective because I had... Um, a second degree tear on my perineum and one right next to my clitoris. So that was really not fun. Okay. But I'm happy I did it anyways. I was still happy with my decision. It was the best option at the time. Um, and it happens to be that the doctor at my practice, there are four doctors, and this doctor was the one who made the most efforts to convince me to get an epidural. And she happened to be on call when I was pushing, and she watched me deliver my baby unmedicated. The only interventions I had was the induction, and I was really proud, and I really felt like I showed her a different alternative. You should be so proud. You really should. When I have patients like you, unfortunately, because they're so rare and there are medical students around or nursing students around, I call them in and I tell them, this is what birth can go like, too, because most of the time they're going to see women screaming and saying that they're on their deathbed. And it's so important for them to see that birth can be controlled. It can be in a very controlled, relaxed, beautiful environment. Well, that's actually interesting that you mention it because, and I I appreciate that perspective and I'm going to take it into consideration, please God, for my next chance, because there was a medical student who really wanted to come in and I was in a really messed up place. And my husband was like, not a good time and he actually came back a second time and my husband was like even worse time and we didn't end up letting him in but with that perspective I actually would really want him to have the chance to see something like this and use and harness that experience to be more um, considerate and, and more supportive like if that medical student turns into an OBGYN or even the residents when they turn into OBGYNs to see that that is definitely 
most definitely 100% possible to see that, then hopefully they will be more likely to be supportive of someone that very much truly wants it. Did you ever end up getting Pitocin after the meso or you just, the Cytotec and meso is the same thing? No, so I, I believe that at a certain point, we usually use meso more for the ripening part and then um, Pitocin for like the actual induction part once your cervix is soft. So sounds like your labor just kicked in after you got the meso and sometimes like you don't even need anything anymore. Your labor's, you're, you're in labor, you're making cervical change. Yeah, it was actually that doula nurse who said, they're asking me about Pitocin and I'm just gonna give you another hour. And I was like, thank you. I really didn't want Pitocin. I really felt like that would have pushed me over the edge. And we really, I don't know, God was on my side. The hypno babies was working. The, that doula, the fact that she got me off the monitors and off the IV helped me get in my zone. I was able to sit on my my ball. I was able to sit in a rocking chair. I was able to walk around a little bit rather than being cooped up in a bed. It really got things moving, and I really needed that at the time. Amazing. So baby was born. Did you do immediate skin to skin? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we did and he latched right away and it was really, really cool. Um, I guess I just want to share a few things I would do differently, um, for the crowd. So immediately, like after we got to recovery, my husband was like, we're never doing that again. (laughs) What? Having a baby? No, no, no. Unmedicated. Oh, unmedicated. (laughs) He was like, that was way too hard and too intense. And actually, after discussing it a lot, reviewing it over with my doula, reviewing it over with my hypno babies instructor, and discussing it more, we actually realized that it was pretty a pretty successful story. And they actually put me on the hypno babies website as a success story. Wow. Even though it was such. Uh, I don't, I don't want to say torture. It was really, really difficult to manage in the moment. In hindsight, we realized that it was eight hours of pain. Like that was it. Eight hours is nothing for, especially a posterior, especially yeah. a first baby, especially cytotech. Like all of these, you know, factors. With all of that in mind, I still only ended up with eight hours and one hour of pushing. Like it doesn't really get better than that. And also learning more and, you know, discussing the details of what happened gave us a lot of information on how I labor and how I manage labor and what to know might happen in the future and what things I'm not going to tolerate in the future. For example, not being in a hospital that has more than one shower room is something that I'm never going to do again. And, um, you know, there are just and the involvement of the doctor. My doctor was there for 40 minutes. That's all I saw her like. It was not relevant what her opinion was on the matter. So these types of things are things that we learned and things that we grow from. And even my husband is 100 percent ready to try this again because he realizes now we had a really great, successful experience and that we really did something that we really wanted to do. And we're really happy with how everything turned out. Yeah. Yeah, that's beautiful. No, it's definitely hard. I think it's amazing when you have a goal and a vision for your birth and you're able to accomplish that, which you did. It was fraught with a lot of difficulty, not the most pleasant for a variety of reasons um, that were beyond your control. And so your doctor only saw you for 40 minutes. It's interesting. I've worked in several hospitals and there are different models of the way 
the care goes on. In some hospitals, the doctors will be in to see the patient every two hours at the very least, just to follow up and, you know, discuss what was going on and what the continuing plan would be. And there are other places where, as a nurse, I'm terrified to call the doctor until the baby's almost crowning. And we can do no right because either we call the doctor too early or we called the doctor too late and the baby the baby was uh, halfway out. So um, yeah, it's interesting. The, the, just the models of care are interesting and it's a great question to ask your provider during your prenatal care to find out from your provider, how's it gonna work? If I'm in labor, is the doctor that's on call also seeing patients in the office across the street? Or is the doctor that's on call in the hospital 24-7? Will you be able to see me like every two hours to just discuss the plan if I want to? Um, just like, like what's your routine way of caring for patients who are in labor? So that's a great question to ask. Yeah, and to add to that, I actually had an interesting experience like that. I did not ask that question, but it happened to be that two doctors in my practice were in the hospital that day. It was a very busy day. I don't know if they have this in your hospital, but they said when it rains, a lot of women go into labor. Have you ever heard that? Um, rains. I mean, it's interesting. It would make sense because of the the pressure, the tide. I, I would say storms. Definitely when there's like, you know, a tornado or something. But um, I, I wouldn't. I, I don't disbelieve it. Again, none of this is research based. You know, it's just basically what we experience. But I wouldn't disbelieve it. So they were having a very busy night, and I guess a lot of the people who were giving birth were from my practice. So the head of my practice and another doctor were in the hospital the whole day, and I saw the head of my practice when I went to the office to get checked to make sure it wasn't checked that my water broke. And he said, okay, I'm go. I'm going to be in the hospital today. I'm going to check on you um, and see where you're at. Like, I know you have this whole plan. Um, I'll, I'll definitely be seeing you later. He never came. He never, I never saw him again. And I feel that, okay, it's probably on me for not asking this question. I don't think the answer would have changed anything about my care, but I do feel that that was pretty um, neglectful on his part. Like, don't make a promise you can't keep to a mother who's giving birth. If you aren't going to be able to see me, then say, I'm going to try to stop in if I have a few minutes. Not, I won't leave the hospital without seeing you because I'm going to be there all day. And we never saw him. And um, had things not been going on track the way we wanted, it would have been very helpful to have him there because he was the one who had originally confirmed for me that the practice would support me through an unmedicated birth. And it was really discouraging um, once we realized later on that he like totally failed on us and was nowhere to be found. I'm so sorry that you had that and that you kind of felt like, you know, like he ghosted you. <laughs> he did. Yeah. So what what happens is, is even in the places where I work, where the doctors come in frequently to see their patient, sometimes circumstances are beyond their control. And if there were a lot of patients, sometimes like they'll have C-sections back to back and they're in the operating room and they can't come out of the operating room. Um, and sometimes things like that happen. Like I remember not long ago, we had a patient that came in for her baby, her breech baby to be turned. And there turned out to be two C-sections that were not scheduled, but one on top of the other that her doctor had to do and then had to attend a vaginal birth all in a row 
and those were patients that were higher priority. And I felt terrible for this patient who was waiting there for four hours for her breech baby just to be turned and that then to go home. <laughs> but unfortunately, with when it comes to labor and birth, it's not always controllable. But I, I mean, I do think it would have been easier for you to hear it that way had you known versus just, oh, the doctor forgot about me. Or just, you know, I'm going to try my best. We have a really busy day, but I am I would like to check in with you and I'm going to put my greatest effort to do that. That would have been way more of a better expectation. Um, but again, I didn't even notice at the time because thank God everything was going well and we were on track, so I didn't need him. But if things were not going well and the hospital, the nurses, the doctor who did end up seeing me would have been a little bit pushy in terms of something that was not in my plan, I would have actually needed him. Um, and I would have made them track him down to really support me because he had agreed when I switched to the practice that he was going to help me do this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then how did the afterbirth go postpartum wise? So actually the postpartum floor was also being prepared for a COVID surge and there were no rooms. So it was Arab Shabbos and we were in the recovery area until three o'clock and Shabbos at 430. Um, oh boy. So frantically calling our rub, what can we do once we get to the room? Like, we needed to shower. And for those who are not affiliated, Shabbos is the Jewish Day of Rest on Saturday, and we refrain from doing many different things, such as on our phone, um, cooking food, and running hot water. So we shower before, and it starts on the eve of Friday. So once it turns into that sunset, that's it. So what happened? It was three o'clock and you still weren't transferred and couldn't take a shower. So we ended up getting transferred at four o'clock and we had just enough time to get settled, put all our electronics away. My brother came and dropped off food for the next 24 hours and we both ran in the shower and it was fine. Um, and we were actually grateful that it was Shabbos because we were exhausted. We'd been up for 24 hours straight and we were so happy to have our own privacy and to rest. Um, and to be refreshed for like the welcoming of our son mm -hmm. that was as soon as Shabbos was over. Um, so that ended up being really nice and something that we really cherished. Yeah, a lot of people express that when they have their baby on Shabbos or close to Shabbos, they really enjoy being disconnected from everything and just really focusing on bonding as a family and mom focusing on um, bonding with her newborn. Did breastfeeding go well? Yeah, thank God actually. He latched right away. He was very into it. Lactation consultant came in um, the next morning and she introduced herself as Rona from Corona. Oh, like you're a laugh lady, like whatever. But we didn't, we didn't thank God end up really needing her help because he was just like going at it. So that's amazing. And I want to bring reassurance to listeners, especially first-time moms or moms whose breastfeeding journey didn't go as easily with their last baby. It can be beautiful. It, it can have many challenges, and it's common for there to be many challenges, but it can be beautiful, and it can go really well, too. So, you know, don't panic before the actual situation happens. Yeah, and everyone's story is really unique. Um, even though he latched right away, actually, as he got older, he got a little bit more frustrated, and I ended up seeing lactation consultants later on. So everyone um, in their own right. 
Um, and then we came home and it was COVID and I'd convinced myself that I didn't need any help because what were we going to do? We're going to snuggle and nurse and rest. Mm, Yeah, exactly. What else is there to do with the newborn, right? (laughs) Boy, was I wrong. Multiple meltdowns and freakouts and just overwhelmness later, we realized we needed help and we ended up figuring out safe ways to get the help we needed. And honestly, just that mindset that I was in of I can do this, I can handle this, which thank God got me through in unmedicated labor, did not get me through the postpartum period. And I really, really struggled with just how good of a job I was doing and my ability to juggle. I'm in school for marriage and family therapy. And the longer that I took off from school, the greater risk I had for really delaying my graduation. So after six weeks, I went back to seeing clients and back to school, um, all virtually, obviously, but and you run a business with therapy. You can't be like half in half out. Like when you're in session, it's all doors are locked. Um, and I run a business and I was really in a great place with my business and I did not want to lose that momentum. And I just, after six weeks, well, I actually worked on Cosmo my whole maternity leave, just preparing content and shipping out wigs and talking to people. And I did have boundaries, but I was really invested at the time. Yeah, it's much harder when you're growing your, you know, when it's your business and it's your baby, another baby. And you, with business, we know that if you leave it for a little bit, then it can go too many steps back. Like the catch up will be much greater than just the little time that you miss. Yeah, and Cosmo is my baby. Like, it's just one of my greatest passions, and I love it, and I wanted it to thrive, and I knew that three months of no action would have been really, really detrimental to our growth, and there were definitely things that I dropped the ball on. There were definitely things that I asked for help on. My husband (laughs) stepped in 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 ways that he (laughs) never has before, and we pulled through. Um, I would say that until the three-month mark, I was a total mess, and there were definitely times when there was no food for Shabbos, and our apartment was a mess, and we were really depleted, and it was just a very good lesson in taking care of yourself and not having insane expectations for yourself when in the past you've been able to do things but if you feel like the signs are telling you this isn't working you need to make it work for you um and it was a really big lesson in that for me and since then i've taken a lot of precautions and a lot of steps to support myself in supporting this baby um i still don't have any help um because of covid so i'm with him full time and um also doing two jobs and in school and it's very complicated and I'm really grateful for all of it because it's all good and all blessing but I don't recommend it and if I would know then what I if I would have known then what I know now I would definitely have had to figure something else out because it was really just such a tough place to be in especially as a new mom with the hormones and the sleep um, and the exhaustion and just all the changes and my life, my life changing to have no support um, in our in our apartment and to really feel like I'm being pulled in all these different directions was very, very toxic and unhealthy for me. And I will not be doing things like that again. Yeah, you live and you learn. But it's really hard to anticipate 
how the enormity of being freshly postpartum and not just freshly postpartum, but the months following as well, it's very hard to comprehend the enormity of postpartum before you've ever had a baby. It's just impossible to comprehend the level of sleep deprivation that comes with having a newborn. And it's so important to plan. And we often say that sometimes we kind of lose sight of the importance of planning for postpartum because we plan so much for the birth, Mm -hmm. which is so important to do as well because it can affect your postpartum healing also and just your mental health because if you had a difficult birth because you didn't prepare then that can affect what happens after you have the baby as well thank you for being vulnerable with that and saying how you just couldn't always necessarily you know pull it all together which when you're postpartum you're just in survival mode and you have so much going on with everything else and I'm happy to hear that you're doing things that fill you up besides for the motherhood identity that you have that's really important so even though it's pulling you in all directions I'm happy that you're doing that for yourself thank you so much Bossy, for telling us your birth story I'm sure it's going to help many mothers who are hoping to have a low intervention birth. It's so helpful to hear how you navigated the hiccups that happened and how things didn't go how you would have preferred for them to go, but you really navigated it so beautifully. Yeah, and if anyone has any remote or a tiny drop of interest in trying to go the unmedicated route or lower intervention, I'm more than happy to discuss with them. I really feel like there are two options, more than two options, but definitely two options in options for delivery. And I really wish that it would even just be explored, this idea of an unmedicated birth, because it is empowering and there is strength in us as women to do this. And if if it empowers someone to have the epidural or to do other types of interventions or they need it medically, they should do that and they should feel proud of it and they should own it. But if there are inklings or feelings of maybe this might be for me, maybe I want to try to persevere in this direction, then that is certainly something that they should explore and there is support out there to explore it. And it is a totally incredible journey and we will definitely be doing again. Please God. Thanks for tuning into the Happy Birthway Podcast. Head over to Yolwedit Academy on Instagram to continue the conversation. You'll find the link in the episode show notes, as well as links to any additional resources, products, and services mentioned here. If you love listening to this show, you can help it grow by sharing it with your friends and rating and reviewing it. To stay in the loop when new episodes are released, make sure to subscribe. Remember that your health needs are unique and require individualized medical advice. The podcast is not a replacement, and some of the information may not be appropriate for your specific circumstances. My mission is to educate you so that you can confidently collaborate with your healthcare team. I believe that a healthy mom and healthy baby are simply not enough. We also need a happy mom with an empowering birth experience.